Grab your Bibles, open up to Genesis 47. Genesis 47. Genesis 47. We're going to get to that in a second. Genesis 47, verse 13. Genesis 47, verse 13, first book of the Bible. So, um, like most white, suburban, middle-class teenagers in America, I grew up being obsessed with rap and hip-hop. Do I have any rap or hip-hop fans in the room? All right, okay, I guess like three of you. Um, I wouldn't know that by your Twitter because you're always quoting rappers, but apparently only a couple of you like rappers. Um, so I loved, uh, loved rap, and uh, if you, I, I, know, I know nothing about rap now, nothing. I don't know, like I know that there's a guy named 2 Chains and he's got dreads or something, and I know that there's a guy named Kendrick Lamar who came out with an gr- a, a album in the middle of the night that nobody knew about, right? So that's all I know. I know nothing about rap anymore. But from like 1995, 96 through like 2006, I know all the songs. I know all the albums. I know the rappers. I know who hated who and who killed who and who fought who and who had a girlfriend with who and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And I was all into it. I knew all the lyrics. And um, we can get to the whole, you know, filling your mind with nasty junk because it's, we can get to that lesson another day because it's really not the best thing. But nonetheless, I listened um, to rap and hip hop. And there was a song. when I was, I guess, late 90s, so I was like in middle school, and it was featuring two people. One you probably know, one you may or may not know. Um, one is Jay-Z, a much younger, skinnier version, version of Jay-Z, and, uh, and the other guy was named Jermaine Dupree. They called him JD. He's from Atlanta. He's like a producer, but he kind of rapped, and he kind of tried to rap. He's kind of like, uh, like a poor man's P. Diddy, and so um, he would, uh, would uh, kind of just kind of jump in on other people's songs like Diddy does and just like try to steal their spotlight, and so, um, so they had this song called Money Ain't a Thing. But it's not thing. We're in the late 90s right now. Just take your mind back to the late 90s before a lot of you were born. And we're talking about how we said thing. We didn't say thing. We said thang. Everybody say thang. Make sure you get that twang in it, that Atlanta twang. Money ain't a... All right. So... Jermaine Dupree would come in and he would say, in a Ferrari, Jaguar, switching four lanes with the top down, screaming out, money ain't a... Ah, uh-huh, y'all are good. And then Jay-Z would come in, he'd say, bubble hard and the double R, flashing the rings with the window crack, holla back, money ain't a... There we go. See, y'all learned a rap song tonight. You didn't think you'd learn that at church. So that was the song. And it was all about how they had so much money, so much money that they could just do whatever they wanted with it. They were like, well, I have so much money, I'll just throw it over here, I'll give some to this person, I'll buy a car that I don't need, I'll buy another car, I'll give my money um, to my friend, I'll buy another house, I'll go on a vacation, and it really doesn't matter, because money's not a thing. And, and I, would, I would beg to differ, because I, I think that we should, probably shouldn't have that attitude towards money, or you're going to be broken in debt, and, uh, and your life's going to stink. But um, the truth is that the Bible actually makes the point and the argument that money shouldn't be a thing in our hearts, that money shouldn't control us, that money shouldn't be the only thing uh, that, that we care about, the only thing that drives us, that it should be something that, that matters, that's important, it's not bad. But the Bible talks about how it shouldn't control us, how it shouldn't be the number one thing in our life. So there is a little bit of truth that Jay-Z told us about money. It shouldn't be the biggest thing in our life. And, and I understand, and just so you know, we're talking about money tonight. We're talking about giving, and I know that's not a common thing. You've probably never heard it preached about on this stage. And, and I don't think, at least for the past seven or eight years, that it's been preached about in here and probably at any other student ministry. It's really not talked about a lot. 
And the reason why is probably the reasons that you're thinking in your mind. Well, teenagers don't have that much money. Some teenagers don't have jobs. Some teenagers, um, you, you know, don't, don't get a job until they're out of college or whatever. And, 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 and what about allowance? And I don't even get any money from my parents or, or any of those things like that. And we, um, we might think, well, or you guys might think, well, it's really not important to me. I'll worry about that stuff later. As we were saying, it's not a, a necessarily a common thing to talk about with students. But I want you to know that what you learn tonight has the ability and the, the potential to drastically change your future and drastically uh, uh, free you in your future. You can avoid so many pitfalls if you learn some of the things God says about money tonight. Now, you may have a job, you may have money, or you may not, and it may be a while, but take to heart what we talk about because these lessons, these teachings of God about money and about giving are, are, are not just about money. And this is the first thing, and it's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down. Giving is a hard issue. Giving is a hard issue. So that means that there is no age limit on talking about giving or talking about money. And, and, and quite honestly, there's no age limit in the Bible. There's nowhere that says you gotta be 15 to give your life to Christ. You gotta be 23 to, to get baptized. You gotta be 40 to go on a mission trip. You gotta be 50 to be a, be a pastor or to share your faith. There are no age limits that we see. In fact, the, the disciples mostly were young uh, young guys. And so um, it's important to realize that the Bible doesn't have age limitations and restrictions. And so just because you don't have money right now doesn't mean we should not learn about it. And it can benefit you so much spiritually and financially in the future. And so uh, the first thing I want you to know is giving is a hard issue, and that's going to kind of surround everything we talk about tonight. So uh, once again, 47, chapter 47 of Genesis, chapter 47. And let me just tell you what's happened since, uh, since in the last chapter and a half that we skipped over. Um, Jacob and his family go to Egypt, uh, just like Pharaoh told them to. Come on to Egypt. I'll give you the best of everything. They get there. It tells a genealogy of every single guy's name and who, who, uh, who had what kids and all that kind of stuff. And there's 70 of them. And they come to Egypt and they settle in as shepherds. And so we pick up in 47 verse 13. 47 verse 13. And we're just going to look at uh, 13 verses. So they're in the famine. They're a few years into the famine, and things are getting really bad. They've saved a lot. They saved a lot of food over the seven good years, but the seven bad years are hitting them hard. The economy's done. People are hurting. And this is where we pick up. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan, and in payment for the grain they were buying, he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. 15, when the money of all the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. So they've run out of money at this point. And then Joseph says, okay, well, you can bring me your livestock. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since the money, or since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep, their goats, their cattle, their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with money in exchange for all their livestock. So now they have no money, and now they have no livestock. So the year's over, and they come to him the following year, and they said, we, can't, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for our Lord or for Egypt except our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes? Again, are you just going to let us die, Joseph? Don't, don't let that happen. And, and are you just going to let our, our, our land go to waste? Buy us and our land in exchange for the food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. 
And then you can give us seed so that we may live and not die and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they had received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Verse 23, Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed so that you can plant the ground. But, but, when the crop comes in, when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep for yourself. The other four-fifths you can keep for yourself. We've already given it all to you, but just give a fifth back to Pharaoh. Give a fifth back to Egypt. And the other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. In verse 25, and this is really where we find kind of the crux of what we're talking about tonight. It says this. They come to him, and after having given up their lives, given up their stuff, given up themselves, given up their property, everything has been given over. You would think they feel sad. They feel hurt. They have nothing left. Why? They, they, they could just come to Joseph and be like, we hate you, Joseph. Woe is me. But, but we don't see that. This is what they say. You have saved our lives. There's no bitterness because they know they would be dead without Joseph. And so they would give it all to him because they needed him to live. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. And we will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So they humble themselves and they come down and they bow before Pharaoh and before Joseph and before Egypt. And they say, we need your help. We recognize that we have great need, that we are screwed without you. We need you. We need money or, or, or we're just going to die. We have no chance without you. And they recognize that Joseph could, was the only one that could save their lives. He was the only one that had the power. He was the only one that had the food. He was the only one that had the seed. And he was the one that could keep them alive and bring them through this. And so they were willing to give whatever it took, whatever it took. Because if they didn't, what was the alternative? If they didn't give up their stuff, they were just going to die. So they die and they keep all their stuff and they wouldn't even be able to use it. But they say, of course, we're not going to do that. We know we need you. We know we are dependent on you. We are willing to give whatever you need and whatever it takes. Because they recognize they were dependent on him. And just like these people were with Joseph, we are dependent on God. We are dependent on God. We are fully dependent on God. And now, a lot of us think, oh yeah, yeah, I know I'm dependent on God. I know I, know I need him and all that kind of thing. But we tend to think, and we tend to live like we don't really need God. Like, um, you know, yeah, God gave me the salvation. He handled the grace. I know he made me and all that kind of stuff, but I kind of got it from here. I can get my own job if I want money. I can do well in school if I want to. I can have relationships if I want to. I, I kind of am okay with God. I've kind of learned what he has to teach me. Let me move on. And, and saying it out loud like that, you, think, you might think, I don't think that, but we live like that. We live like we're not dependent on God. We think kind of we have it all taken care of. We're, we're okay. Now, these people were in a situation where they knew they were not okay without Joseph. But a lot of times, even though that's the truth for us, we still act like we're okay without God. Like we do not need him. But the truth is, God is the only thing that keeps us going. God is the only thing that stops us from just dropping dead or for even disappearing. Like, you may say, like, oh, I can control my life, but can you control your lungs? Do you actually make the air uh, that comes into your body give you life force? 
Do you do that or do you just breathe? You might think, well, I can control my own breath. Yeah, but are you the one that controls the lungs? Are you the one that controls your heartbeat? Are you the one that makes your brain do things? Yeah, you might think, oh, I'm great at sports. Well, you're not the one making your brain tell your body to do those things. It's, it just happens. It's involuntary because God has made us that way. We need God. We are dependent on God. We can't live without him. You may say, oh, well, you know, I kind of got this whole thing figured out, but you can't control the planets. You can't control a star just coming and wiping us out. God has created us. He has made us whole. He has given us our parents. And you may say, oh, I'm just here because of my parents. Well, they didn't, I mean, they made you, but they didn't like go in and fertilize an egg inside the body. Like they didn't make you, like they didn't grow you and knit you together in your mother's womb. All they did was kind of have a fun night and then you came out. And so they didn't do it. God did it. You are dependent on God. We're totally dependent on God. And furthermore, above all of that, above all the physical, above all the, the, the emotional, all that kind of stuff, there's the spiritual side. We need Jesus. If we don't have Jesus, we're done. We can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves better. We are not righteous. We are not perfect. We mess up, right? We're human beings. That's <clears throat> what happens. And Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave everything for us. And who are we to say, I'm going to keep money to myself. I'm just going to, God, you can have everything else. You can kind of have, yeah, you can have my worship and you can have all those kind of things, but you can't really have my money. I don't want you to, to talk to me about money because that, that's mine. That, that's, that's my deal. And the truth is, just like these people, we are dependent on God and he has given us everything. Jesus came to the cross and gave everything. And then sometimes we say, eh, you know, I, I kind of want to keep a little to myself. And so here's the next point in your notes. When we realize that Jesus has saved our lives, no thing is too much to sacrifice to God. When we realize that Jesus has saved our lives, no thing is too much to sacrifice to God. You don't see these people moping around because they don't have their stuff because they know they only have life because of Joseph. And we only have life and eternal life because of of Jesus. And when we realize that and we think about that, we realize it's all God's. There is no too great of a sacrifice. There is nothing that is not his. And so there are some practical reasons um, when it comes to money that we should give, that we should give back to God. There are some practical reasons. I'll give you a few. <clears throat> the, the, quite honestly, a church doesn't function without money. Buildings don't get built without money. Ministries don't happen. It takes money to go to Jamaica. It takes money to go to Albany. It takes money uh, to go to Epworth and do what we do there. And of course, people come to Christ through all that. And when we get on the ground, we do our thing. But it takes money to make those things happen. It takes money to make homeless ministries happen. It takes money for Beam to, to function and support our community. It takes money for this room to exist. Many of you would not know Jesus if some people in this church over here that meet and worship on Sunday mornings had not given over the past 25, 30 years to support student ministry. Many of you would not know Jesus. Why? Because this wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have a staff. We wouldn't have a band. We wouldn't have a room. We would have no student ministry, and there would be nothing. And so money does have a connection. There are some practical things. Um, of, of course, people, there are other people that need money more than we do many times that, that, that have some of the stuff that we take for granted that they don't even have those things. So uh, those are the practical reasons. But I'm not trying to sit here and convince you of why we should give our money to God because of practical reasons. Because again, giving's a heart issue. And we need to look 
at the heart. We give out of gratitude. We give out of gratitude because Jesus gave us everything. And so in return, we say, take whatever you want, God. You saved my life. You gave me everything. Why, why wouldn't I give you a little bit? We give out of worship. That is a form of worship. Sometimes we just limit our worship to raising our hands and singing a song. But the truth is, worship is our lifestyle. Worship is the way we treat people. Worship is the way we, we give our talents and the way we give our stuff and the way we give our money. We can give as an act of worship. We can give to grow God's kingdom. There are people with kingdom mindsets that say, I'm willing to give 90% of my money so that other people can come to know Jesus. In fact, Jesus had, um, had people supporting him and his disciples. They didn't just go around and, and, just, and just live um, and have a bunch of money. They were supported by people. There's actually reference in scripture to some women who supported the disciples and supported uh, Jesus. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, was the, was the treasurer. He was the one that kept track of the money so that they could continue in their ministry. And so it does take Money to grow God's kingdom. Now, God doesn't need our money. That, that, that's a very important thing to, to draw the line on. God doesn't need our money personally. But money can grow God's kingdom. And giving to God is a privilege. It should be a privilege. It's just like prayer. Sometimes we see prayer as an obligation, but it's really a privilege, an opportunity. Um, Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21 is one of the most famous verses on money. And we can use it for anything in life. We can use it um, for so much uh, besides just money. But um, the money side of it is really why Jesus was talking about it. And so we're going to put that up on the screen. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And this is what it says. Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to thousands of people, and he's talking about money. And he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So, so don't always worry about the world and the money and the stuff. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember, we said it's a heart issue. The way we deal with our money, the way we give is a heart issue. If we're giving our money to a bunch of other stuff and we're not willing to give any of it to God, there's a heart issue. Now, this is not a salvation thing. Like, you can be saved, you can go to heaven, and you can never give a dime to the church. You can never give a dime to a ministry. You can never give a dime to God, and he will love you like crazy. He, will, he has forgiven you, he has saved you, and you will spend eternity in heaven with him. So it's not a salvation issue. But... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we look at our bank account, if we look at the way we spend our money, some of us might realize that our treasure and our heart are more on clothes than God, are more on food than God, are more on entertainment value than God, because we're spending our money on those things, and they have a little piece of our heart. So that leads us to the next thing in our notes. Don't let money control you. Don't let money control you. That was what Jesus was teaching here. He said he, he just didn't want money to control us. He didn't want us to live a life where we were constantly a slave to finances, a slave to our job, a slave to, to always having to have the next best thing and money and, 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 and all of that thing. Because he knew that greedy hearts destroy us, that money can destroy us. 1 Timothy 6.10 uh, talks about um, how money can lead to evil. And a lot of people you've heard say, money is the root of all right. And that is false because that is not what the scripture actually says. What the scripture actually says, it says, for the 
love of money. So it's not money. Money is not evil. Being rich is not evil. Money has no problem. You can be rich and be a Christian. You can go after money. That, all, money in and of itself is just paper. It's just product. It is not, the, it is not um, evil in and of itself. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil comes from money, but a lot of evil can come from it. And see what it says after that. Some people, eager for money, eager to get more, eager and greedy, have wandered from the faith, have wandered from the faith, have lost their way, and have pierced themselves with many griefs. They've wandered from God, they've let money take their lives over, and they've actually pierced themselves. They've put themselves in some pits. You know, Joseph didn't put himself in the pit. His brothers put him there. But a lot of us put ourselves in some other pits. Can we put uh, Matthew uh, 20, verse 24 right back up? Here's, here's, here's how he finishes that speech on the Sermon on the Mount on money. <clears throat> he says this, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Next thing in your notes, the best way to make sure that money does not become your God is by giving it away. The best way to make sure that money doesn't become your God is by giving it away. If you, you might remember the story of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved. Like, what, what's my step? What's my next step? And he says, hey, have you kept the law? And, and he's like, yeah, I've kept all the laws. I've, all, I've done all that stuff. Like, like, what's the next thing? And he says, okay, well, uh, sell your stuff and come follow me. And it says the rich young ruler walked away sad because he was controlled by money. He was controlled by his stuff. And he could not give any of it up to go follow after Jesus. And Jesus knew that, and he walked away sad. Again, many of us have pierced ourselves because of the way we use our money. Jesus wants us to hold our money with open hands. He wants us to, to, to not necessarily give it all away or not necessarily give to this person or give to that person or give to this church or that church. He wants us to be open and free with our money. He wants us to be willing to give that just like we're willing to give our time, just like we're willing to, uh, to, to stop a certain habit that we know is wrong. Just like we need to give up certain relationships, we need to be willing to kind of just hold our hands open when it comes to money. So uh, I'm sure um, your mind has kind of gone to, well, when is he going to tell us how much we're supposed to give? What's, how much is enough? And, and really when we ask a question like that, what we're really doing is we're kind of looking for like a loophole. We're kind of looking for like, well, what's like the it's like kind of the bottom level I can give. Like I just, I, I just want to be like a decent Christian. So kind of give me like the, the little floor, uh, the little floor, and just let me know like what the lowest amount I can give is. It's, it's similar to the question of when we're talking about like sex and dating and that kind of stuff. And we say, well, well, how far can I go? How far can I go? And it's the wrong question to ask. The right question is, how can we honor God? How can we honor God? But there is, uh, there is one number that's talked about in the Bible. It's talked about in the Old Testament, and it's called a tithe. And literally, it means a tenth. It means a tenth. It means 10%. And so the people of Israel would give 10% of their, of their food, of their, of their livestock, of their money over to God. And Jesus talked about the tithe. Jesus talked. He referred to it. He says uh, he, he talked about doing it. <clears throat> but Jesus himself never actually said, you must tithe. You must give 
He, he never actually said that. He did expect us to give. There's, there's a story when he's talking and he says, when you give. He didn't say if you give. He said, when you give, I want you to do this. So he expected us to give. And he referred to the tithe, but he never actually said, you must give 10%. That's what you have to give. No more, no less. That's it. Go home. That's what we're going to do. He never said that because he was more about our hearts. He was more about our hearts. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I think is the best place for us to look if we are looking at money as believers. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, do we have that? There we go. Cool. Um, It says this, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion or out of guilt or just because we feel bad or just because like, okay, whatever, I'll just give it to God. No, we should give what we have decided in our heart to give, what we have been called to give, what God has called us to give, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to sacrifice obediently, sacrifice because we love him, sacrifice out of a relationship. He doesn't want our guilt trip. He doesn't want our empty sacrifices. In fact, there were times where he got mad at the Pharisees and he would say, hey guys, you're bringing me these, these, these sacrifices and they're actually worthless to me because you don't care. You don't want to give them. They're empty. Your heart's not in it. I want your heart. And if your heart wants you to give and your heart feels called to give and you want to give, then, then that's, the, that's the sacrifice I want. But I don't just need you to give me these empty Empty dollars and empty, empty, empty guilt dollars. I, I want you to want to give, and then I want you to give. Now, now, don't question. He said when you give, he wants us to give, but he wants our heart. It's more about our heart because giving is a heart issue. Here's a little practical advice, and there's a, a little, uh, there's three columns in there. And the first one is give. If, if we were just going to kind of look at how we use our money, the first thing we should do is 10% give. 10% give back to God. Again, although he talked about um, it may be more, it may be less, <clears throat> when he, he said he wanted us to give out of our hearts, we could still use the baseline of the Old Testament and say a tithe is in Scripture, and it's scriptural. That's a good place to start. So if we're talking about just the future, for the next uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you can live with this principle in mind, and it will change your life. It will change the way you function as you move forward. It will save you from so many problems. You can ask life group leaders, you can ask some of your parents, and if they had done this their whole lives, they would be so far ahead of where they are right now. But sometimes they made mistakes, and and you could ask so many older people about it, and they could tell you all about it. But if you live according to this, it can change the way you function financially. 10% give back to God, the first 10%. If you wait till the end, you know what happens. You kind of spend it all, and then you're like, oh, sorry, God, you have nothing left for you. So we give first to God, 10% give, 10% save. There's so many Proverbs. The Bible talks about money all the time, and it says save your money. Don't be stupid. Don't go into debt. Don't go into credit card debt. Don't buy things you can't afford. Don't, don't try to, to try to get things that, that you have not earned. You need to save some money. You need to put, <clears throat> put some, some, some stuff away, some money away, so that if something happens, so that if uh, a, a tragedy happens, or, or if you want to do something with that money, if you want to go on a vacation or do something like that, you have the ability to do it. You have the freedom to do it, because God doesn't want our money to be our God. He doesn't want our money to control us. So 10% save. So 10% give, 10% save, and 80% keep. I want to show you a video, because at this moment, you're thinking, 
okay, great, he taught us a lesson, he told us what the Bible says, I'm just going to leave here and nothing's going to change because I'm a student, nothing, uh, I can't give, that, that, that's not realistic. I wanted to show you and we wanted to show you that it's possible and we're not showing you this video to, to show this student off or to say that he's any better than anybody else, but we want to show you that it's possible for students to give, so check out this video. Uh, my name is Ivan Mayfield and I give because I love my church. I love my Lord and I'm, I'm called to do so and I love Everside, you know. Oh man, I give because I have so much already, you know. Um, I'm just so blessed by the Lord every day that um, if I can help in any way uh, the church, I'd love to. I give 10% of every paycheck I get, and uh, I decided that because, you know, that's why I was always told um, from my mom and from what I heard. When I started out, I was actually extremely excited, and I was like, awesome, I'm, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm getting to the church. Uh, there have been times where, you know, tight on money, and you, you know, you don't want to give the money, but you still do, but uh, it's awesome. In the difficult times um, when uh, I was, you know, short on money and I, I still had to give 10% of my uh, paycheck, um, it was is rough. But there was never a, you know, a doubt in my mind that I was still going to give that money. I just had to find uh, different ways to, um, you know, make it work. Um, my desire to give began pretty much instantly when I become or became involved with the church um, as soon as I realized what a great uh, support that the church was and how much they were blessing me and helping me I just did nothing but wanted to give back to them as a student it's a little easier in some ways and it's a little hard in some ways um, as a student you're supported by your family as well so uh, economically I guess you're supported by a family and they help support you, um, but you also make less money and you know, you want more money to spend, but honestly, um, you don't need it, you know. All right, cool. Um, band, you can go ahead and come back up. So here's the last thing in your notes, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's what we're going to close with. And it's this, there, there's scripture in Malachi 3.10, Malachi 3.10, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and it says this, it's talking about tithing and bringing in money, and he says, and God says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for you to store it. Test me in this is what God says. So that leads us to the last thing in your notes, if you've been taking notes, and it is God dares us to try it. God dares us to try giving. God, God dares us to tithe. God dares us to give back to him. And this is what he says is going to happen. He doesn't say we're going to be millionaires. He doesn't say we're going to get everything we want. This isn't a way to trick God into getting our stuff that we really desire and saying, like, if I give 10%, maybe I'll become like a millionaire and everything will be good. No, this is, this is him daring us to try and saying, I will bless you. 
You will see that you avoid so many problems. You will see that your heart belongs to me. You will see that you do not become controlled by an idol, by money. You will see that you, uh, that I am able to do more with 90% or 85% or 80%, however much you decide to give. I'm, I'm able to do more with the remaining money than you could possibly do with 100%. And so many of us think, I just need to control it. I just, I just need to control my stuff, and, and I'll be good. But do we trust that God, who saved us, the God that, who created us, that, that he can use our money, that he can use our money to spread his kingdom, that he, can, that he can take what we have left and actually multiply it and amplify it? And again, this is not, this is not uh, kind of the gospel of, like, get what we want. This is just... The truth, do we trust God with our money? Do we really believe that we can do better with 100% than he can do with 90? So the question is, do we trust God with our money? Because God wants to bless us through this. Just like any of his other commands, when we are obedient, things are better. Life is better. And so here's how we will close. And, uh, and, um, and I just want you to hear me on this closing and, and, and be clear on it. We have commit cards. And now I did not get enough for the whole student ministry. I didn't even get enough for the people in this room. Because the expectation is not that every single person up here or every single person in here is going to give. But the truth is that no matter whether you have $10 a week and you say, I'm going to give one to God. Whether you have $100 a week, you say, I'll give 10 to God. If you make $1,000 every couple months, you say, I'll give 100 of that over to God. No matter what the amount is, and the amount doesn't matter. Remember, Jesus had that woman that came to, to, to tithe in the, in the temple, and this one guy gave all his money. He gave all this money, but he was rich. It wasn't anything to him. And she brings two pennies, and she drops it in, and he says she's given far more than anyone else has given because she gave out of what she did not have. And so whether you make nothing, whether you barely get anything from mom and dad or from your job or you don't have a job or whether you make uh, more than any other kid in the student ministry, you can tithe on that money. You can give out of that money. And so we have these commit cards up here. They're up on the altar, and they're also at a table in the back, and they're very simple. Beach Student Ministries on one side. On the other side, it's got a name, grade, and it has two lines, and you can fill out one or the other, not both. One is that you commit to giving a certain percentage of your total income. So again, if you make $100 every two weeks, you would give $10 to the church, $10 back to God, or you can commit to giving a certain amount. You don't, if you don't want to commit to a percentage, you could say, I'll give five bucks every week, and you might check weekly, or I'll get five bucks a month. Again, this is not about how much. This is not about the church getting rich. This is not about anything but your heart being obedient to God, your heart being free from the love of money. If you guys can get this, I promise you, I promise you, listen to me, I promise you that it will change your life. Listen to wisdom. Don't, don't, don't go on experience and try to, try to do it yourself and then mess up. Listen to someone who's a little bit older than you. Talk to your parents. Talk to your life group leaders. They will say the same thing. We promise that this will be better for your life. And if you start doing it now, then when you have more and when you're in your job and all that kind of stuff, it'll just be second nature. And you'll find that it's exciting to give. It's, it's, it's a fun thing to give. And it's not always easy. But you know that you're being obedient to God. So again, I don't expect everyone to do this. Maybe, maybe half of us will do it. Maybe a quarter of us will do it. And we're not going to go. We're not going to take this. And we're not going to check it and be like, hey, you didn't give enough this month. We're coming to your door and telling your parents because we need that money. We're not doing that. That's not what this is about. This is about you committing to God and giving that part of your heart over to him, that, that part of your life over to him. And so you'll fill it out. 
You don't have to show anybody. We don't want you to show anybody. We're not doing this for show. We're not doing this for anything. Don't tweet about it. Don't tell anybody else about it. And just put it up here. And then over the following weeks, we'll continue to do this. This this will be something that we do every single week. Um, When we come uh, for our response, we'll just say this is where we put our tithes and offerings each week. And it's another way we can respond. And it'll be up to you and between you and God of whether or not you continue to do it. But I want to challenge you that if you have God kind of churning in your heart that, all right, it's, it's time for you to start getting involved financially. It's time for you to start giving a little bit and, and realizing that it's not all about you and it's not all about your kingdom. It's about my kingdom. Then I want you during these last two songs to just come up here, grab a card or go to the back, grab a card and fill it out with where God leads you to fill or with how much God leads you to fill it out with. Let's pray and then we're going to sing. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you you gave it all to us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent your son. Lord, I pray that we would be givers, that we would be free with our money, that we would, that we would just hold it with, with open hands for you, that we would know that it can go to, to benefit people's eternities, to benefit future students, to benefit missions. Lord, we want to honor you in the way we spend our money. I pray that these students in here in the next 10, 20 years, decades, that they would honor you with their money, that they would avoid the pitfalls of life, that they would not wander from you because they haven't uh, obeyed you, but they've obeyed money, that they would not pierce themselves with, with problems and with pits because they tried to do money their own way. Lord, I pray that we will be giving people here at United, that we will be giving students, that we won't wait till we're a certain age to give to you, but that we will give to you right now, whether we have a little or we have a lot, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would be moving people's hearts to, to respond today, to respond now. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and let's worship.